Welcome to Guest of the Year. I'm the host. My name's Mike. Today we've got five deadheads from around the country competing for a prize pack provided by About Half Past Dead and a spot in next week's show. About Half Past Dead is run by Mike, another Mike. The brand aims to inject the Dead & Co. lot with a bit of radical spirit and politics of the 60s. In 2022, Bowed Half Past Dead raised $18,000 for various mutual aid organizations including abortion funds, housing and weapons training for trans people, and financial support for veterans of the Black Panthers. They do bumper stickers, shirts, pretty much everything you'd expect to see in the lot, uh, they do it. Check them out on the lot this summer during the Dead & Co. tour. Also, all of the links will be in the show notes. As always, the prize pack provider was tapped by Mason, a.k.a. From the Lot. Thanks, Mason, and of course, thanks, Mike. All right, here's how the game works. We'll play the first part of a Grateful Dead live track, and each contestant will use the messaging system to silently guess which year their performance is from. Contestants, who are all on video chat to prevent any possibility of cheating, can submit their guesses at any time during the clip or in the 10 seconds after it concludes. Whoever is furthest from the correct year is eliminated. The last two deadheads standing will have a best of three series to determine a winner. We've got our two-time returning champion Todd here with us, and we'll meet the rest of the Deadheads in a moment. But first, let's hear the first song. Without further ado, The Grateful Dead. The other one at Oakland Auditorium Arena on December 31st, 1980. Bob Weir and Phil Lesh claim the first performance of the song was, coincidentally, the night Neil Cassidy died, very early in the morning on February 4th, 1968. A coincidence because Neil is, of course, the other one. So there are two people who are equally closest. It's our returning champion, Todd, who guessed 1981, and Joshua, who also guessed 1981. Let's meet Joshua real quick. Joshua is 19. He's from the Bay Area. Joshua, one year off on a on a tough 80s song. Congrats. You're on to the next round. What'd you hear there? Well, it was honestly not too difficult. 
pretty much determined by two things, and that's uh, Brent's sound on the organ. There's like a really certain sound that he had when he like entered, and it really lasts from like 79 to maybe like spring of 81. Like there's a lot of great, like May of 81, other ones that sound really similar to this. So that's what I was like leaning towards. And then also just like Jerry's tone. Um, it still carries over a little bit from how it sounded in like 78. Yeah. When would you say that Jerry like fully left that 78 sound behind? I mean, on I mean, like relatively quickly, honestly, but like, 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 you know, after like the go to heaven release and stuff like that. So like we're talking about like 80 and all of that. But, you know, um, in, in my like personal opinion, like that sort of like energy really lasted until maybe like summer of 82, like fall of 82. And then after that, I mean, we're really seeing a different Jerry. I mean, 83 to like 86 is like a completely different vehicle than like 79 to 82. You know. Right on, Joshua. Great breakdown. Todd, you also guessed 1981. You are also on to the next round. Anything you want to add to Joshua's breakdown? I mean, I think Joshua was just spot on. Um, you could definitely tell right away it was the early 80s. And the organ, I totally agree, was a real giveaway. Um, pushed really high up into the mix um, and, and playing it a lot, really heavy on, on all the fills. Um, and Jerry still sounds uh, good and not, uh, uh, sounds lean. Uh, and... Yeah, I, I, I circle, I put down 80, 81, 82, and listened and listened and listened and ended up going with uh, 81. Great. Thanks, Todd. I'm sorry, I should say, um, Todd is 52, and he's from Wilmington, North Carolina. Todd is one step closer to the three-peat, which has only been done by Luke. I think Kyle won two in a row as well, but only Luke is three-peated, so Todd's looking to match that. No, Nate two-peated too. Sorry, Nate. Next closest was Matt. Matt guessed 1984. Matt is 44, and he's from Lawrenceville, New Jersey. Matt, why 84? You know, it, it, it's hard to tell, like, with the audio quality coming through. At first, it was, like, real, like, it sounded mute, like, a little muffled. But then it was, like, everything was real forward in the mix. I almost was going to go with, like, late 80s, right? And then I heard the organ a little bit, and I'm like, no, no, that's that's earlier Brent, right? And I'm like, man, I'm, 80s are not my strongest point. It's, like, the decade that I listened to the least, well, you know, like, mid-80s. I'm like, yeah. It's not the 70s. It's not like 79, I don't think. It, and, and then I heard Bobby singing, and I'm like, I just went with 84 just because I knew it was going to be early 80s. So I figured somewhere in the middle would be a good strategy. So that's what I went with. Playing the game, Matt. Nice. You're on the next round. All right. Um, Julian is on to the next round because he guessed 1970. Marty guessed 1992. Julian is 41. He's from L.A. Julian, so... Um, you thought it was Pigpen? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it was kind of, it, yeah, maybe TC. I, I was like pretty puzzled and I was thinking, I was thinking late 80s originally because I initially went to like Brent. The organ playing sounded like Brent, but then the quality of it sounded so old to me. And then the song ended and I kind of panicked and just put a, what I thought was kind of like a, a safer choice than getting into the late 80s, but either way. Um, I'm glad to be going to the next round. I don't feel like I entirely deserve it, but I'll take it. <laughs> um, Julian, do you spend a lot of time listening to like Primal Dead? I, I go all around. Um, I don't know if you guys have the Time Machine device. Have you heard of that? No, or I haven't. 
it's it's just like a like a little box that these dudes make that like runs off a raspberry pi and it's got three knobs month date and year and you can just dial in the show and hook it up to your stereo and it's got a really fun feature you push year and it just goes to like this day so often i just do this day in history and kind of like see where that takes me but i don't know that's my main way that i that i listen so i'm all over the place i mean i really have tried to keep it even but um I mean, probably like my, my, I probably prefer the seventies most of all, but I also really love like spring 90 and 89. I'm a big 89 fan. So. Nice. And you know what, Julian, I have seen that before and I tried to buy it and it was sold out and it's, it looks like a oh. guitar pedal kind of. 100%. Okay, cool. Yeah. I hope they stock more. That sounds awesome. Marty, you guessed 1992. Marty is 5070s from Yonkers. Marty, what'd you hear there? Well, the funny thing was I, thought I typed 1982 and and after I hit enter I looked I was like oh fuck but you know it is what it is um so I did hear Brett and and I actually waited to the end because I was waiting to hear who was going to be singing on the chorus and although you really can't hear Brent on the chorus I knew it wasn't you know pig pen and I knew it definitely wasn't Vince um so it is what it is Fuck, you're such a good sport, Marty. You're going straight to the bad connection redemption bracket, man. That <laughs> definitely qualifies you. You're you'll have another shot at this. I am so sorry. But you're a real sport for not even I would have been like, wait, 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 like like trying to, you know. Um, how did you get into the dead? Um, I actually got into the dead my freshman year in high school, which was 79. And uh Brent just took over, went to the my one of my friends in my uh, class said, You gotta go see this band, they're awesome. Uh, went down to Madison Square Garden, took a little something that uh, unfortunately allowed me to sleep well, but uh, not see the show. So that was my <laughs> first experience with uh, the dead. But uh, after that show, I was was literally all in. I went to Nassau, went to, I, I, I mean, in New York, I had, you know, whole East Coast we'd do. Um, and, uh, you know, when, when went to college, forget it, that was you know, uh, 83 through uh, 87. And those years were just, forget it. Just unbelievable. And nonstop touring, nonstop. Uh, from Alpine, all East. So even though you couldn't fully enjoy the show, you still knew like, all right, uh, there's something there. I need to go back. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the whole, you know, the outside. The, the uh, I mean, even though it was the garden, it was still, you know, the circus was in town, you know? And uh, that's, that to me, as I say to my friends, even to this day, I enjoy the tribe. You know, we're all, we all have that great vibe together. And, you know, I only saw my friends on tour a lot. You know, they were from California, from wherever. And, uh, you know, we'd all see each other on the lot and in the shows. Have you been able to keep up with them after, you know, 95? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, my friends and I, we, we're big live music fans. So, you know, I actually uh, have a house up in Bethel Woods, so uh, which is near where Woodstock was. And, uh, you know, there's a great uh, outdoor venue there. and we, we go to concerts. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, live music is just my thing. It's cool. You can keep the, you know, the band together even after the band broke up. You know, yeah. The, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, Marty, you're a real sport. You took that better than I would have. I appreciate you doing it. And we'll see oh, you in the Bad Connection Redemption bracket. Okay, Todd, Joshua, Julian, and Matt are on to the next round. Let's play this song.
walk today. Felt your side of bed. The covers were still warm where you've been there. You act gone. My heart was filled with dread. Looks Like Rain at War Memorial Coliseum on September 26, 1973. The track was part of a 15-song first set. Todd and Matt both got it exactly. However, Joshua and Julian were both one year off in 72 and 74, so everyone advances. But let's hear the breakdowns. Todd, you guessed 73. You got it exactly. What would you hear there? You know, right away, it sounded like 73 or 74. You know, probably the biggest giveaway is the vocals. Uh, they're using the two mic setup of the wall of sound, and it, it just ends up giving a really flat, compressed vocal sound with a, a really, someone mentioned a few weeks ago, a lisp. It's like that sibilance of an S. It really, really hangs there kind of where it shouldn't, it seems like. Uh, one drummer, Jerry was really low in the mix, right? So I'm always listening for, for how clear, you know, and what his tone sounds like, but, but he was super, super low. Um, it also kind of sounded like today's the anniversary of the 1973 uh, show where they broke out like seven or eight songs. And it just had a real flat soundboard sort of quality like that one, Roscoe Maples Pavilion. Yeah, so uh, yeah, seven, 73. Flat. That's a great observation. It was kind of flat. Yeah, the vocals then, I guess it was brilliant to pair the mics together and make it out of phase so that they could have the wall of sound behind them. But they have to like get the vocals then back out of that, whatever they're doing to it. And it just ends up sounding kind of not dynamic and just EQ'd real flat. like. Nice pull, Todd. Matt, you also got 73. Nice pull by you as well. What'd you hear there? So yeah, 73 is pretty much my favorite year. Um, just got this like warm quality, this analog quality to the sound of all the, the soundboards. <clears throat> and I think what did it for me was one, Jerry was not playing pedal steel, which I think he played on the earlier versions in like 72, if I'm not mistaken. And you heard Keith playing the Fender Rhodes. So that kind of like narrowed it down 
73, 74. Um, so I, I just went with 73 because it had like, like uh, Todd had mentioned, just that sound. You know, I think it's, today's the 50th anniversary, uh, as you mentioned, the, the wall sound debut on uh, that Roscoe Maple show. And uh, 73 is just, it's just got like this warm, just feels like home. It's like my mom's meatloaf, you know, just kind of like warm feeling, you know, just, <laughs> just, just that it, 73 does it for me. Man. It's just like their peak. Uh, you know, they have the, the psychedelic, they have the jazz, they got everything going on that year. And, and just that, it, it just sounds, that's the year. So. I've heard people say that Billy's drumming peaked in 73. Do you feel like that's the case? I, I, I do love, I think the single drummer setup of this early seventies is my favorite. Nothing against Mickey. I mean, I love all the dead years, but um, he just, he just pulled it together in the seventies, you know, just, just by himself. And I can't say that the 73 was the peak. Cause I, I don't pay attention too much to it because it's just all really good, but maybe that's what it is that just adds to 73 for me. That just does it. I don't know. I have to listen to it now. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's a good, good point. I never heard that before, but yeah, maybe, maybe that is the secret sauce. So. Yeah, I think it was Todd the other day said like it sounded like Billy had like eight legs and four arms or whatever it was. You <laughs> Could said be, Todd, yeah. that was astute. Yeah, I love that that whole period, uh, uh, 72, 73, 74. Yeah. To me, that that yeah. whole thing is the peak. That whole Absolutely. thing is the peak, and 100%. I love I love early Mickey is is awesome and crazy, and and later Mickey certainly in the seventies is great. We can talk about the eighties uh, and the nineties and today, but. Uh, that time period where it was one person behind the kit. Billy just is the jam. I mean, he's a jazz drummer, ultimately playing rock and roll, and he just he takes the cake. Yep, for sure. Awesome. So, yeah, like I said, everyone's on in the next round, including Joshua, who guessed 1972. Joshua, you send your answer in pretty quickly. Only one year off, obviously. Uh, Why do you feel like it was 72? Um, I mean, it really couldn't have been anything other than 72 or 73 because they only played it for those two years. So, like, I felt confident that, like, I honestly couldn't, like, maybe it's just the quality, like, through, like, you know, like, Zoom or, like, you know, just, like, how the recording is. But it sounded, like, a little more muddy than, like, what a, a lot of 73 recordings. Maybe it's just because I'm really lucky and I've been listening to, like, a lot of great stuff that's been put on, on the archive. But, you know, um, I just, I went, like, 50-50. It could be either 72 or 73, but I just felt like 72 was a shot. But, you know, close enough. Nice breakdown, Joshua. Uh, Julian, you guessed 74. Anything you want to add? I mean, yeah, I, I love what everybody had to say. Really good breakdown. I mean, I was kind of going between 73 and 74. At the last minute, I went 74 because, like, just as you were fading out, I thought I maybe heard another drummer. So I kind of wanted to hedge my bets in case it was, like, later 70s in terms of getting a little closer to that. But I heard what everyone else heard, the, the, the one drummer and something about, like, I, I don't know enough about Billy's gear, but something about this, he had a, re I feel like his snare is really tight during these years. It's like a really, and then the grooves he plays give for, is part of what gives away the single drummer to me. He gets to, like, swing it a little bit more, you know, because he's not having to double up with mickey you know so i just i went 74 but i thought maybe 73 oh yeah i also thought wall of sound because i just couldn't hear donna at all and i kind of made an assumption that maybe she got turned down because i know that often she had she, she well no i love donna i just know that she sometimes struggled to like have adequate monitoring during the wall of sound and that the, the effect would just be that she would sort of get like turned down so that was sort of one other clue i was working off of so Donna's levels were a casualty of the wall of sound? Yeah, because when I'm thinking of like a looks like rain, I really like I'm waiting for her harmonies on the you were gone part, you know? 
Um, and I didn't hear him. So that kind of, that was one other clue I was working off of, but. Cool. I'm really glad everyone's on in the next round. Cause this is a fucking great group. Let's, uh, let's play the next song. guesses are in it was big river at virginia tech on april 14 1978 bob dylan and the band recorded a cover of the song in 1967 which was released as part of the basement tapes in 2014 so joshua and todd got it exactly 1978 they are both on in the next round joshua start with you nice pull what'd you hear there um i heard a lack of keith Maybe again, that's just me from my end. Um, but either that, or he was just really copying Jerry's chords um, and not really doing the unique creative cowboy stuff that, like, on this exact same song, if we go back to like 71 or 72, I mean, he was tearing it apart. And I just didn't hear that. Um, and then also just the sound quality in general, like Phil's bass, the way it came through, that's a sound that you really only get from like 76 to 78. And like, again, like the tinniness on like Bob's guitar, again, that's like, just by like recordings, it really fell between like 76 to 78, like that range. So would you say that Keith chasing Jerry was just laziness? Yeah. I mean, you know, first of all, we all know that it was spiraling down like a heroin and coke habit, like at this point, like pretty bad, you know, 78 is where like Keith is like really falling off. I mean, like he just does not contribute. Like my favorite Keith period is personally like 76. He really comes through after the hiatus. And um, like the, the band sound in that year is like really full. Like you hear everybody's um, contributions. You don't really get that in 78. You know, Jerry's, you know, coked out of his mind, like, you know, plowing his way through the song. So is Bobby. And Keith is just sort of nodding his way out and like disappeared by this point. And um, like, yeah, that's, that's really what you're hearing. And you hear that all the way up until they leave the band in 79. Excellent breakdown. Thanks, Joshua. Todd, you also got 78. Another one you got exactly on the next round. Yeah, what'd you hear? 
Um, as soon as it came on, I thought 1974, because it's just like a quality to, to those uh, recordings. And then I really quickly heard two drummers. I heard distorted guitar from Jerry, and I heard, like Josh was talking, a real, real clean tone from Bob Weir. That's the sort of that Ibanez late 70s sound. Uh, so I jumped to the late 70s, and then I'm trying to figure out if, if I'm actually, is it, is it sort of early Brent kind of stuff I'm actually here in 79? But just like Joshua, Keith is just laying out, man. He's letting everybody else uh, put it together and move on. And he's, you know, throwing a little something in that, that's, that's on, on key every now and then. But, but he's not playing like he used to at all. And that uh, combined with Jerry's guitar sound and uh, just, just put me right in that 78 pocket. Sometimes in 78, they were just cooking. And it's just all that and more. And sometimes they maybe weren't. And, you know... It's all good, but that just sounded exactly like like '78 to me. It's crazy you can pick out his drug use on the track, and that is also why, if you can hear it, like you can, Todd, that this band is so fascinating to listen to because you're getting a song, but you're also getting like a piece of a story. And it's more than one person in all the different eras. I mean that that whole ends up holding true for a number of different people throughout the different eras, which is sad, but also just fascinating. Well, Matt guessed 1981, so he's on the next round. Julian guessed 1970, so he's eliminated. We'll start with Matt. Matt, what'd you hear there? So, you know, I've been listening to the show for a few weeks now, right? And, you know, I'm playing along with the show, and I, I, I found the best bet for me would be to go with my gut, right? So what did my gut say? My gut said 78, because Bobby's guitar, that compressor sound that he's got on there, instant giveaway. But I couldn't hear Keith. And I couldn't hear any keyboard, so I couldn't hear Brent, right? I don't know if I was just, I couldn't hear it. And I'm like, man, I don't know. They're kind of fast, too. So I'm like, hmm, early 80s, a lot of Coke going on, maybe. And I'm like, eh, shit, I got to go somewhere in the middle. 81. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I should have went with 78. I knew it. I knew it was 78 just by that guitar tone, you know, just by Bobby. And uh, go with my gut is, is the, the, so that's what I got to do from this point on now that I'm still on. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> cool, Matt. You're on the next round. All right. Julian's 1970, going back to 70, what, uh, yeah, what, what'd you hear? There? Yeah, I mean, I think I maybe went too hard with, like, the overall sound quality, which may or may not be sort of, like, coming through the zoom filter, but it sounded just kind of raw to me, and Jerry's guitar tone reminded me of some, like, kind of earlier, fuzzier stuff, um, but the main thing was, I, you know, I heard two drummers, and and Jerry's voice sounded kind of sprightly to me. So I I just, I went early, you know? I kind of like just, I bought in. I bought into my own bullshit, so. <laughs> uh, how did you get into the dead, Julian? Uh, well, I've always been like pretty dead positive. Um, I've never like, I'm not one of those people that like ever, you know, some people get into it later in life and because they have like a problem with it. I just never, I was always like into like some Jerry Garcia band stuff and a few dead songs and then really it was like my buddy patrick indoctrinated me um he just became my guru he took me to like a dead and company show a while back and he you know he's like the guy that like i'll be like hey like hit me like with like you know i got like hit me when i was starting i was like hit me with some other scarlet fires and like in five seconds he sent me like three dates and i was like okay this is dope so he's just been there for me he recommended you know he's he got me on the uh, so many roads book which i really enjoyed so I wouldn't say I'm like a pandemic deadhead. It's definitely grown as I've had like sort of more time at home to like listen and become obsessed with some people bake sourdough. Some people get really into the dead. So I've just kind of like 
used this, these last few years have been just like an increasing interest and um just like you know there's like little there's like little steps along the way you know it's like first you like some couple shows and then you start to realize then there's like this i don't know there's like this collector aspect too being like oh can i find like my favorite version of this song and that's i don't know that's kind of like appealed to me that's sort of like a collecting aspect even though i'm not collecting physical things just collecting songs in my head do you have like a list or like a playlist of those songs like do you keep track of them yeah i mean i have like a list going i mean i i, I do collect records as well but i i sort of like crapped out on that just because um i know they're doing all these reissues of the shows on vinyl which i think is really cool but it's just like too much flipping they sound great but it's just like you can't flip that much that's just too much um yeah so yeah <laughs> um so I'm, I'm fascinated by the patrick archetype is patrick like does he have good taste and other shit too why did you immediately been like all right if patrick recommended it i'm going for it yeah, I mean, he's just a really good, really good buddy of mine, like loving guy, like really awesome dude, you know, and like we've connected on a lot of music stuff uh, pre, you know, him dead pilling me. So yeah, I just really, tr I just really trusted him. You know, I really did. Um, we actually saw um, Jazz is Dead together a couple weeks ago. I don't know if any of you guys has caught, had, have caught that, but it's with Steve Kamak and it was cool. It was a really nice vibe, um, but uh but yeah, no, we've always just like been into music. So when he kind of like presented me with the, with the path, I took it, you know? So Jazz is Dead is instrumental, right? It's instrumental. Although the audience ends up singing. There was like a really cool moment where uh, they were doing Franklin's and like everyone's kind of like people started like tentatively singing the chorus, you know? And everyone was like not sure if it was like respectful or not. But then Steve was just like, he did, he like gestured being like, do it. And I thought that was like, that was like a really special moment. And then everybody just like went hard and it was like a really special moment. So I don't know. I just take any opportunity to see people play that repertoire in like a small space. I'm going to go see Melvin Seals and JGB uh, later this month. Um, uh, I'm stoked that uh, Kadlicek is in it. You know, I think that'll be fun. I love that people were tentative and looking to be respectful. And I love that Kim Ock was like, go for it. You know, it was it was so cool it was you know it was kind that's all i can say he was kind thanks julian thanks for being here i'll i'm gonna mute and listen along and watch this uh this master class so go you guys <laughs> all right uh todd joshua and matt are competing for two spots in the best of three series to see who wins the about half past dead prize pack let's play the song
Okay, the guests are in. It was Stagger Lee at Saratoga Performing Arts Center on June 27th, 1985. The Grateful Dead's version is based on a folk song that was first recorded in 1923. Stagger Lee was a pimp based out of St. Louis. So Joshua and Todd both got it exactly. Matt was one year off in 1984. That's a tough one, Matt. I'm sorry. Um, okay, Todd, let's start with you. You're on to the finals. What'd you, what'd you hear there? Um, I heard 1985 immediately. I wavered as to whether it could be 86. Um, uh, Jerry's guitar during this time frame has a very, very specific sound. He's at his highest weight uh, throughout the 80s. His voice is, is a deep, uh, uh, much, much deeper, much bassier, much gravelier. His fingers are extremely heavy. His, he's got a heavy hand, so his notes are all a little sharp. His you know, he, he uses a lot of vibrato where he's always moving his fingers up and down and it's accentuated during that time period. Um, and when I was tape trading uh, growing up and listening to the dead, we just had a lot of 1985, 1986 in our collection for whatever reason. I love that era. A lot of people diss on it. There's a lot of vocal flubs and a lot of missed cues, but in between all that, there's just some serious magic. Uh, so yeah, it sounded like 1985. I was wondering if it was the Richmond, the fall of 85 shows, but I guess it was summer at Saratoga. So you don't mind vocal flubs? Uh, not at all. I mean, uh, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about sort of a punk ethos to the Grateful Dead. And, you know, this is a band that did not like rehearse, right? This is a band that went out on stage and, uh, surfed the wave live in front of everybody every night. Um, and that's pretty punk, <laughs> You know, it's pretty punk to sell out a, a stadium for three nights in a row and not even have a set list and not talk to each other about much and just walk on stage. And if somebody starts a riff, you, you just play something. And so the occasional vocal flub, totally fine by me. And, you know, the, the song with the vocal flub might have the guitar solo in it or the, the ending breakdown, uh, you know, rave up that just smokes. So you got to give it all a chance. Cool. Thanks, Todd. You're on to the finals. Joshua, you sent in 1985 very quickly again. Very impressive. What'd you hear? Um, agreed with everything that Todd said. First of all, with just like, again, like Jerry's voice. Also Brent's keys, the way they come off in the mid 80s. Uh, around 84, like whatever synthesizers and like piano, like gadgets that he had, like they had sort of like rounded out. So like 84, 85, 86, first part of 86 anyway, like he sounds pretty similar. And yeah, also just Stagger Lee is one of those songs where they they put it on hiatus a bunch when they were first playing it. If I'm not mistaken, like it was like debuted in like 78 or 79 and they put it on ice till 82 for like two shows and they put it on ice again until like 85. So it's one of those songs that like, again, there's only like a couple of like years where it could really be like played throughout and you can guess for that. And yeah, I mean, it, I was honestly teetering more on 86 but 85 just seemed like there were more, you know, he was in a coma for most of 86. So there seemed to be more options in 85. That seemed like the best bet. Wow. What a, what a great combination of playing the game, knowing your facts and listening as well. <laughs> nice, Joshua. You're on to the finals. Well, well-deserved Matt, you ran into some real dogs here. Uh, you were one yeah, year off 84. 
Um, yeah. I mean, there's nothing really to correct, but what'd you hear? So, uh, you know, I, I was listening a couple of weeks ago. One of the uh, one of the guys, he was kind of like a Brent hater, and uh, he mentioned that his his synth keys sounded like the Doogie Howser theme. Oh and, yeah, that was John. Uh, I don't know, yeah, we yeah. Got, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we got some younger guys in the audience here, and I don't know if they ever saw the show, but I grew up with that show, right, in like in the late '80s, '90s, and immediately I'm like, oh man, that's that's definitely like early now. I don't know my my '80s as well as Joshua does. Like, it's my least listened to decade. But I'm like, Jerry's voice is like, you know, he's been chasing the dragon, man. <laughs> he's struggling, and he, you know, he's and, and as as uh, you know, they mentioned uh, that you know he's probably struggling, you know, weight and fingers and arthritis and all that stuff kicking in. And and I was just going with like '84. I don't think I really even maybe even listened to '85 at all, if, if maybe only a few shows years back. But I just went with '84 based on that. Didn't know they didn't play Staggerly in '84, but <laughs> it was just a, a guess on the sound. That's all. I'd imagine there are a few people that have that in their back pocket, uh, yeah. <laughs> especially for a song like Staggerly. Uh, yeah. Well, Matt, how'd you get into the dead? Uh, I was never a sports kid growing up. Uh, my dad was a music guy. He listened to a lot of jazz and he got me into, into music early on, took me to a lot of jazz shows. And then uh, around high school, this uh, classic rock station came out in New York area called Q1043, started listening to a lot of classic rock. Uh, Jerry died. And uh, my real my best friend then he was a huge deadhead so I'm like man Steve's gonna be real upset so I said Steve what what's this all about like you know what's the dead I never I know like a couple songs Casey Jones whatever so he lent me uh, I think uh, American Beauty and I liked it a lot and then my environment environmental science teacher in high school lent me hundred hundred year hall the CD it was like you know from Europe seventy two tour and then it kicked in then it clicked China Rider I was like oh. So this is what it's supposed to be. And then from that point on, I got on the bus and uh, unfortunately got into him after Jerry died because Jerry died. I got into him, sad to say, but you know, I went to a bunch of further shows in the late nineties. I big into fish, saw fish like 60 times um, and you know, the whole jam band scene, but the dead are just where it's at for me. You know, there's just the perfect blend of Americana, jazz, um, rock, all that stuff. And it's just, it's, it's the perfect music by far. So, so fish scratches that itch for you. Yeah, yeah, that you know, a lot of people, you know, started touring with Fish after the Dead stopped touring in 95, 96, you know, around there and uh you know, I I I started to try to amass cuz cassettes were big back then in the, you know, late 90s. I tried to amass like a tape collection. There was uh this place near uh, Freehold, New Jersey where I was living, uh that it was almost like a library. You couldn't sell bootlegs, that was like illegal and the band frowned upon it, right? But it was like a library. You could go there and take out tapes and then make copies of them and return them and then donate tapes. So this place called uh, Tish's Place. It was like not a head shop, but like a Grateful Dead kind of boutique store. You know, it sold tie dyes and relics magazine and stuff like that. And I used to try to tape stuff off the Grateful Dead hour and, you know, built up, you know, some tapes from that. But just kind of never, never looked back. Just was always into them since. So. Well, thanks so much for doing well, it. I appreciate it. I'm going to hang out the, and, and watch the rest of the game. Thanks for having me. This is like, uh, this is, it was almost my party trick. Some of my friends are like, man, this guy, he can listen to like just the audio and tell you what year and tour it's from. And they, they'd put me on the spot and I'd, I'd do like some stuff at, at, at uh, you know, like last week it was a poker game and they did the same thing. They're like, here, Matt, close your eyes, listen to this. And, you know, I, I didn't do too well, but the last show I listened to of your podcast, I got every one of them right. I'm like, oh man, I'm ready. I'm set. Holy shit. <laughs> that was a tough show so, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, cool, Matt. Uh, yeah, I appreciate thanks, it. Man. All right. All right. Well, I'm really excited to see this one. Todd and Joshua, you are on to a best of three series to see who wins the about half past dead prize pack. Let's play the song. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, Deep Ellum Blues at Dane County Coliseum on December 3rd, 1981. The song was performed 29 times in 1970 and 20 times in all other years combined between 66 and 83. Joshua got it exactly 1981. Todd was one year off on 1982. Joshua, that was a great poll. How did you uh, figure that one out? Um, two things. One of them is a big coincidence. Um, I don't know if you know Hunter Siemens, but he uh, makes a bunch of matrices or matrices of shows. And I think like last year he did the entirety of the fall of, uh, not fall, excuse me, winter of 81. So like those exact shows, like from that run that you mentioned, like from that show that you mentioned, that run. And it had like a lot of deep elements, I think like two or three. So I was like, oh, you know, this sounded familiar. But also the main thing is Brent's keys. Um, when they played it in 80, um, his keys and like the synthesizer like just sounded different. I don't, I don't know the exact details, but um, I'm sure that you can listen, you know, you can hear the same thing. I don't think I hear the same thing of anything you hear, Joshua, but I guess everyone needs to know, uh, how did you get into the dead? It was kind of a big accident. Um, not, I don't come from a family of deadheads or anything. Um, so it was really just like a big coincidence. I was big into like country, like classic country. So Jennings, um, Johnny Cash, you know, like, like really like that sort of stuff. And the song that turned me on, I think was Ramble on Rose, from Europe 72. And then the album that did it for me, like the first full show was one from The Vault from 75. That's just like the best, you know, cleanest show ever performed, arguably. But um, yeah. Um, and then... That was, I think, around 2018. And it was just like a very slow spiral of where it was really just like listening to shows, uh, not really attending anything until after the pandemic. Um, so I think Wolf Bros at the Greek Theater in Berkeley was like my first show of like any like dead related kind, so to speak. And so I've just been like chasing that dragon in and of itself. So do you like get into specific eras and explore them? Do you hop around? Like how's your, how's your uh, taste evolved? Yeah. So, I mean, the journey starts with Spotify. Then you find out about the archive and then you're like, holy shit. Right. You know, there's everything is available to you for free. Um, uh, it, yeah. It really was like jumping around eras. Um, I'm a big fan of 91 um like bruce and vince i think that's just a fantastic like i hate when people say that spring of 90 was the last peak for the dead i think that's like total bullshit you know jerry was still kicking and running and bruce really added a lot like in that period so like i really centered around you know like late 89 like post coma 
uh, up until like 91, 92. And then, you know, really kicking it with like 71, 72, 73, 74, single drummer. And like really like bouncing around. And yeah, I mean, at this point, I can say I might have touched base on everything, but that's like four years in the making. You know, like a year ago, I couldn't have told you that I had like the same understanding of 69 like I do now because I would just avoid it because I mean, it's just it sounds totally different. And then something just clicks and you're like, all right, it's time to check out 69. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you slowly understand that it's like an evolution, right? And that like it all is very similar, obviously. I mean, it's the core four or five is the same for the whole 30 years, but like the sound changes, the time changes. And the band, you know, like they fed off their audience, they fed off of their surroundings. And so like you hear that and you hear that very clearly. Awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. Todd, you guessed 1982, one year off. Uh, what'd you hear there? Um, I knew that they played Deep Ellum a bunch in 82. And it sounded like, certainly the early 80s, it sounded like 82 to me, just kind of the overall quality of, of the mix. I thought at first that I heard Brent's organ up pretty high, and that made me feel much more like 82. And then I hear, I hear what Joshua heard at the end, which was he switched it over to a little bit more of an electric keyboard sound for sure. But my gut for Deep Ellum has just always been 82 for some reason. And I love the idea that, you know, they, they played it at the acoustic shows in 1980 and then tried it out electric a few times after that. I always thought that was pretty cool. So, you know, it was December 3rd of 81, and I guessed 82, so I feel good about that. But, man, uh, uh, J Josh was pretty uh, smoking dialed in on all this stuff, so uh, the competition is quite stiff, and there's not a lot of room for error. There's definitely not. Okay, Todd, you need to do what you did last week and come back from a 1-0 hole to even the series and force a game three. Joshua, you just need one more to win the about half-past dead prize pack. Let's play the song. the guesses are in i know you rider at fillmore east on february 13th 1970 the track was part of a five song first set that started with china cat and ended with smokestack lightning there were three sets in the show and the encore of and we bid you good night i did not fully there these guys they both guessed 1970 
Todd, we'll start with you. How'd you uh, suss out 1970? Um, could hear right away that it was uh, early 70s. I was maybe guessing between late 69 and uh, early 70s. Uh, Jerry's playing a Fender Stratocaster. It's got that nice country twang sound to it. Phil is still singing. It's got that real high pitch part in I Know You Rider. Um, and it sounds like some sort of the, some 70s tapes that I had. I almost went 69 just because Phil was singing and I don't know when he stopped singing, but that the Jerry's guitar tone is, is too clean and too Stratocaster-like, so I grabbed 1970. When did he move on from the Stratocaster? He, he did a bunch of shuffling in the 69, 70, 71. He plays um, Gibson Les Paul, Gibson SG, Fender Stratocaster. He plays a cool guitar that was made by Rick Turner called the Peanut in 71. And then by 72, he's, uh, and I actually I think it's by late 71, he's solid on uh, the Stratocaster and it's the uh, alligator strat given to him by uh, Graham Nash. What do you think he was looking for when he was switching between those guitars? Yeah, I mean, they, they have a totally different feel. They're, they're literally a different length, like the length of the instrument is different between a Gibson and a Fender. Um, a lot of people out there like, like maybe the sound of a Gibson, but they like the way that the Fender feels in their hands. Other people, it's the opposite. So he, uh, he, he kept the, the classic Fender Stratocaster three single coil pickup sound for quite some time. Uh, and that's when Wolf was delivered. It had basically Stratocaster electronics and they ended up rewiring it in the long run, big time. Uh, but the early 73, 74 uh, Wolf stuff is all a, sort of a classic Stratocaster electronics design on that guitar. Well, thank you, Todd. Uh, Joshua also guessed 1970. Nice work, Joshua. Uh, yeah, what'd you hear there? Honestly, just, you know, everything that Todd said, I don't know as much about guitars as Todd does, which I find extremely impressive. Um, but, uh, yeah, it really is that like late 69, early 70 sound. I was, I was, I, I could have sent you 69 and been out of this round. So it was really just a lucky guess between the two. Cool. All right. Same situation. Joshua needs this one to get the about half past dead prize pack. Todd needs it to even the series. Let's play the song. I was drinking last night with a biker And I showed him a picture of you Sit down, get to know you like her Seemed like the least I could do When he's charging his shopper Up and down your carpeted hall You'll think by contrast on quite proper Never mind how I stumble and fall
Okay. Hell in a Bucket at the San Francisco Civic Auditorium on January 29th, 1987. In 1992, the San Francisco Civic Auditorium was named after Bill Graham, who died in 1991. So Todd guessed 1986. He was closer. One year off, Joshua guessed 1984, who is mortal. It seems Todd, one year off. Uh, what'd you hear there? Um, I'm super surprised that was uh, 87 because uh, post-coma stuff is usually really, really clean, played extremely well. They actually maybe had rehearsed a bunch. That had a big flubby section in the start where they just couldn't lock in together. That's pretty typical of 86. Um, also the crazy echo stuff on the vocals that turned into a real high pitched squeal. That's Dan Healy at the soundboard. He was eventually, I believe, let go for the antics, uh, those types of antics. Um, I've heard that on a ton of 86 tapes, uh, both the echo and the squealy. I, have, I was not familiar with that from 87 at all. Uh, so yeah, it sounded like, uh, my old 1986 tapes for sure. Wait, so what exactly was Healy doing? Uh, he takes, uh, but you know, he's in charge at the soundboard. He's got the, the vocal feed, uh, of what the audience is hearing out of the PA and he puts crazy echo on it. And in that case, you know, he put like some sort of doubler on it and played it up a couple of octaves. So Weir sounds like a uh, chipmunk for a couple seconds. So you're just, you're just fucking with Bob Weir essentially. I mean, there's a lot of folks out there that would suggest, yes, Healy was just messing with Bob. Uh, there's, Healy says he was, but from, my, from what I've read from, you know, folks who maybe are in the know, Healy was just messing around in general, but I think the two of them went at each other pretty hard. And eventually he got fired. Event, well, eventually he was no longer behind the soundboard and no longer associated with them as far as I know. There's people out there who know quite a bit about it, uh, quite a bit more about it th than I do. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's my understanding. Well, Todd ties up the series 1-0. Joshua, you, uh, 1984, three years off. What'd you hear there? Yeah, um, I agree with Todd on the quality of the tape. It's not really what I expect from 87. Um, but, you know, I get that just like how it came through. And also, again, like I really listened to the keys when making like most of my guesses and Brent's keys are still like in that like mid eighties sound um, by like 88, 89, he'd have a little bit of, uh, again, I, I, wish, I wish I knew the names of all the synthesizers that he used. Um, but um, there's like a little bit of like a different sound that happens like when, after Jerry gets back from his coma, but clearly like it's not kicked in yet. And also Jerry is not as confident, you know, usually he's tearing up the song a lot more by like 88, 89, 90. Um, okay. This keeps getting more and more impressive as we go. The series is now tied. Yeah, next one gets it. Let's play the song.
Tell by my laugh where this is going. Uh, Stella Blue at Augusta Civic Center on September 2nd, 1979. The lyric, Blue Light, Cheap Hotels, was inspired by Robert Hunter writing the song itself in a cheap hotel in 1970. They both got 1979. Joshua, what'd you hear there? You submitted pretty quickly. Um, two things. Brent is really high in the mix for Stella Blue. Like, really high. And that just means that... the that pretty much narrowed down to like early, to 79 or early 80 um, because, you know, I'm pretty sure by request they turned him up in the soundboard mix really high, you know, just to see how he would sound and mix with the band. And also, again, the way that Phil's bass just like moves, um, that, that's really like a carryover from like 76, 77, 78. So yeah. how do you think it moves? What do you, um, could you elaborate on that? It's really hard for me to describe, but the best way if, if, you, if you hear recordings of Scarlet Begonias from 76 or 77, the way that Phil's bass just sort of like, like it, like he doesn't just play the note, it's almost like he stretches it out. Um, I, again, I, I wish I knew more about like music and like the actual like way like he plays the instruments and like the way the notes are played, but like that's like the sound that's sort of carried across. And I think that's a Betty Cantor Jackson, like the way that she just like makes that in. I might be totally wrong, but there's just that way that that bass carries over that isn't really seen until we get into like the really nice, like ultra matrix recordings from like the late eighties and early nineties. Todd, anything you want to add to that one? I, you know, I wrote down 79 or 80 right away. Um, Brent's keys are kind of a dead giveaway, just like Josh said, up high in the mix and with the sort of, I don't know, a tinny bell-like sort of chimey sort of sound. Uh, they were not playing very confidently. They were they were trying to feel it out, find the the tempo, find the groove, and then some of the key points that they should hit, they're missing. So I figure it's early in Brent's time and they're just sort of still feeling stuff out. So uh, 79. Awesome. Well, I feel like one of you guys has to be off by a year. Sooner or later, could be later. We could be here for a while. I kind of hope we are. 
All right, let's play the song. Sorry, I had to end it on a 90s song. I, I almost didn't. I have a set list prepared, and I almost didn't press. I'm like, I could just watch these guys go between like 70 and 86 or 87 for four hours. But it was Ramble on Rose at Capitol Center on March 17th, 1993. Billy Sunday helped found the American Evangelical Movement after retiring as a professional baseball player. So that's the Billy Sunday shout out. All right. Todd was closer, 1991. Joshua guessed 1990. Congratulations to you both. No one has lost here today, <laughs> but uh, Todd, what'd you hear? I, I shout out to Joshua. This has been just outrageous and uh, super fun, and he's uh, just ridiculously impressive. And I want to go out and have a cup of coffee or a beer with him. I'll, I'll take you up on that. I'll take you up on that. So I thought 92 or 91. This is not you know late late ni- 90s. Dead is not my time frame, uh, but I heard, I heard Bruce Hornsby, uh, or at least I thought I heard Bruce Hornsby and I, the bass, the bass is super clear, very articulate, very, very deep. And that is, um, that's something that I associate with more like 1991. You said it was 93. Yes. Yeah, so usually by, by I didn't hear very much of Bob Weir's guitar, and by about 93, he's got a snarly tone. He's even playing a metal James Trussart guitar sometimes. He's usually high in the mix and really kind of doing a lot of antics everywhere. So I was definitely thinking it was, it was 91 or 92, and uh, I thought that Weir, Bob Weir's guitar was calm enough and Jerry sounded good enough that I would go older and throw out 91. Calmness. Nice poll. Um, yeah, Todd, congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Joshua, uh, I, yeah, I'm out of superlatives, 
but that was uh, insane. Congratulations on doing what you just did. What did you hear there? You guessed 1990. Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, I didn't hear Bruce, which was the confusing thing. Or not that I didn't hear Bruce, I didn't hear Vince. You know, or like the Vince sound that you associate from like the 90, 91, 92 era of where he's like the more synthy backing, you know, like piano. Like he's more for the um, playing along the chords and stuff like that. Um, and I just took a shot in the dark. I mean, it was either that, it was either 90 or 91. It, it was one of those two. And I just assumed that could have been one of those shows. There's a handful of shows from both 90 and 91 where it's only Vince. So that felt like it could be a good guess, but you know, it was 93 and March 17th, so yeah. I know you mentioned earlier that you like discovered one era at a time. Where did the 90s come in that evolution? I would say probably like near the, like more in the first half, for sure. Um, I mean, again, my, my main focus has really been on um, like, like, like with that like era, it's really like late 90 up until like 91, early 92, because uh, yeah, I mean, Bruce just added a lot to the band. I mean, you can hear it and you can also just see it like in the videos, like, you know, he and Jerry are having a great time and he pushed Jerry past, you know, Brent's death, you know, like that's the only way to say it. And there's just a really, I, I find there to be a lot of compelling shows. And honestly, 91 as a whole year is very consistent. It might not be the greatest. Like, it, I'm not saying that all the shows are five stars, but all the shows are at least, in my opinion, like three stars or more, for the most part. Um, which, which says a lot because you don't really get that consistency in like '88. I avoid '88 to be honest. There's not really that consistency that you see again in like '89, '90, or '91. I love that description of uh, Bruce pushing Jerry past uh, Brent's death. That's a great way to put it. Um, Joshua, <clears throat> congratulations, man. You were great. You'll be back on the show at some point in some way, I promise, if you're willing to do it. Uh, More than happy to. Okay. Well, congratulations. And uh, Todd, that was a well-earned three-peat. Good gosh. La yeah, yeah. Seriously, seriously. That was uh, uh, epic. And uh, hats off to all you guys. And uh, uh, Joshua, keep listening. Keep, keep doing this. Do. Thank you. All right, for more amazing <laughs> games like this one, subscribe to Guest of the Year on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for all of our social media links and stuff like that, including our new YouTube channel, actually. Go to guestoftheyear.net. And if you want to be a contestant on the show, sponsor the show, or make comments and ask questions, email us at guestoftheyearshow at gmail.com. Thanks so much to Bout Half Past Dead for providing the prize pack. Check out the show notes for the link there. Thanks to Mason for curating the prize packs at From the Lot. Shout out to Dylan for drawing the posters, 30,000 feet. Thank you so much for listening. For the fun facts, I relied heavily on Dead.net, Dead Disc, and Grateful Dead of the Day and their commenters, so thank you so much to them. Thanks to the amazing tapers whose recordings made this show possible. Congratulations to our three-time champ, Todd, and to our other contestants. Thanks so much for playing, and remember, it's all one song anyways. And I bet you good night, good night, good night. Good night, good night.